Good evening, dear friends. Welcome to Spirit Reports of Life After Life. Every single Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we're here to study the second part of the beautiful book Heaven and Hell by Alan Kardec. We've been covering different categories of spirits from the happy to the mediocre spirits, and we've been spending time with the suffering spirits those spirits who leave their physical form behind only to find intense suffering. And we've been learning alongside those blessed spirit reports to know on one hand of how we can prepare ourselves better for our transition and on the other hand of what pitfalls to avoid. And in the last few weeks we've been studying Claire. Claire is a suffering spirit. And this is our third part of Claire. But first I want to say hi to Tony. Tony, thank you so much for joining. And I'm hoping you're feeling better. Um, so yeah, Claire. And Claire, there's some other people here who've joined. I don't see your name, so I apologize if I don't say hello to you. My phone doesn't always show me everyone who is here, but I see a much higher number than, than just one person. So thank you for joining, it's a blessing. So, um, friends, Claire, Claire is a suffering spirit. And let us remind ourselves of what was Claire's problem during her lifetime. She was a very selfish and prideful spirit. She was endowed with a lot of things. God had gifted her with much. But instead of sharing the gift she's received and realizing that everything we have, friends, is a gift from God. We are co-creators, but essentially everything we have is a gift from God. And it is our duty to share the gifts we have. There's a beautiful chapter in this book called Thought and Life by the Spirit Emmanuel through Chico Xavier. And it is in chapter 23, Assistance, where Emmanuel reminds us kindly that everything is on loan from God and that we are, it is actually our duty to, to share everything that we have received. So if we've received a lot of time in our lives or if we've received a lot of money in our lives, if we've received a very intelligent mind with lots of knowledge in our life, for example, it is our duty, according to Emmanuel, to share, to share those riches. Now, that is, this is something that our friend Claire omitted. Now, let's see what happened with her. Hello, Sol, Teresa Castro, and there is Rod. So nice to have you, friends. Thank you for joining very much. It is so much more fun when people are joining, right, friends? To study together in our international classroom every Sunday night. So, above all, she regretted that she wasted her time. See, that's the thing, we have time. We all get allotted a certain amount of time in our lifetimes. And it may be 100 years, it may only be 30 years, we don't know. But it's another gift from God. And it is something that we need to use for the greater good. And Claire omitted that, and she had terrible regrets about it. And in a greater sense, Claire did not commit any offenses towards, any, towards the human justice. But her offense was against the divine justice 
And what was her offense in the camera view of divine justice? What do you think, friends? What was her crime? We kind of said it already. It was charity, lack of charity. Charity was not something that she had in her mind and in her heart. She had no indulgence, benevolence, and forgiveness. She did not share anything. So since she didn't do give anything to anyone, one, um, later on in her lifetime, she was tortured by, as she put it, an endless day. There was no interception by night. And that day was spent in absolute darkness and loneliness. She wasn't even gifted with an obsessor. So her particular effect of the cause she created during her lifetime was absolute loneliness, no connection. She hadn't given anything to anyone in her lifetime. And now she didn't receive anything from anyone, not even an obsessor in her life after life. Isn't divine justice amazing? Yes, it always works. So she was tormented by herself, singly by herself. And that caused her an immense amount of pain. And let's see, at first she externalized her pain. She thought it was on the outside. But by her sixth invocation, she actually realized, she was invoked about eight times. She realized that actually her own torture, that the torture resided within herself, actually within her own mind. And that is something very important for us to always remember, that when we are in pain, it is usually never coming from the outside. It is inside in our soul, it rests in our minds, in our feelings. The Law of Projection is a beautiful video that um, Hans Wilhelm, I think he's a German, put together where he shows our mind like a camera and we see everything through the lens of our camera. And as he so nicely puts it, so simply puts it, when you've spotted, you've got it. So whatever we think is out there that causes us pain, it relates to something that we carry within ourselves. Now, Claire had a husband and her husband's name was Felix. And Felix was categorized as very superficial during his lifetime on earth. And he was also sensual. And due to the weakness of his character, he was quite violent. So he found himself after his excarnation also tortured. And he was um, rebellious and rejected self-reflection. And he found himself in absolute darkness, wandering around absolute darkness. So what we're learning from this situation is that there is no absolute or uniform rule as to the nature and the duration of our suffering in this life, in each lifetime. But right now, our lens, our focus is on life after life. Every single case is different and every case is also different in its length. So what we're also realizing is, is that the duration depends on, on us on how much we as a guilty spirit that we first recognize that we're guilty and we've committed certain omissions during our lifetime. Like for example, in the case of Claire, lack of charity, but um, that we want to make a difference. We want to grow. We want to open our consciousness to realizing what it actually was. We want to repent in the fullness of our hearts and minds. And that for that, we have free will. 
and the duration of our suffering entirely depends on that because God is so good. God is always ready to rescue us, to come to the rescue, but we need to want it. And essentially it is to each according to his or her deeds. And that applies to heaven, so-called heaven, life after life, as well as in hell, which is also life after life, but heaven and hell resides in our own minds. It is linked to what our predominant thinking is, as we emit, so we attract. So let us see, friends. So Felix um, believed in, was in darkness, and he be believed in nothingness. Felix is Claire's husband. And as a result of his belief in nothingness, he felt incredible amount of uncertainty. There is nothing outside himself that he sees and he doesn't receive anything. It's the so-called darkness of the soul. Now those people who believe in nothingness, or we also call it nihilism, which was a movement in the arts, a literary movement, that whose focus was in Europe in the 20th century. And nihilism, just summarized, is when we ask, what is the purpose of life? And on the, the answer is silence. There is no answer. Let us just imagine for a moment. We are so blessed in spiritism with the help of Alan Kardec and the illuminated spirits. We're being taught where we come from, why we're here and where we're going. Now, somebody who is subscribed to nihilism doesn't have any of that. They don't see a purpose of life. They don't know where they came from. They don't know why they're here and where they're going. And that is torture. That often causes depression, anger, despair, and out of that, suffering. So both Claire and her husband suffered from this darkness. And the darkness equals really ignorance. It was her ignorance and the horror of the unknown. It is hard to imagine, but maybe we can feel our way into that mental, in, into that belief system. So as the last aspect of um, Claire, um, we're going back to heaven and hell. And we have not covered that yet. And if you like to, to look and follow along, um, it is on page 383 in Heaven and Hell. And there, um, St. Louis was asked by Alan Kardec the following question. Why is the moral education of discarnate spirits easier than that of incarnates? Very good question, right? Why is the moral education of discarnate spirits easier than incarnates? Why do you think, friends? Why do you think that is? Let us pause for a moment and kind of feel our way into that to see whether maybe we have an answer. Well, St. Louis helps us out. What he first says is like, as an incarnate, we are constantly involved in a struggle. And it is, it is the struggle between the contrary elements of which they are comprised of, namely we are comprised of. What are, what do you think are our contrary elements that we are comprised of? Friends, any ideas? Well, the elements are our soul, which is our eternal self. 
which is very um, much less material in its consistency. It is very ethereal compared to the other element, which is our physical form, as long as we incarnate it. And we know that as an intermediary body, we have the perispirit, which links our eternal soul with our very short-lived physical envelope. And so that is our constant struggle between remembering, realizing that we're really living on an eternal lifeline. And this is but a glimpse of our entire life as a soul. But what we do as humans, as incarnates, we get easily trapped in the myopic view of this moment, this lifetime, and we can't look beyond it. And as a result, we cling to matter. And all of a sudden, the scratch on the car is the end of our day. It's the end of our lives. We get a nervous breakdown because somebody keyed our car. So that is the struggle that St. Louis is referring to. So he continues to say, matter is easily influenced by an outside fluid. And if the soul does not brace itself against such, such influence, with all the moral power of which it is capable of, it allows itself to be dominated by its body as an intermediary. So what does he mean by the outside that our bodies are easily influenced by an outside fluid? Well, later on, he calls it a perverse, the perverse influences. Well, we're constantly under the influence of stimuli. There is the bar we walk by. And then there is the multi-million dollar homes that we see and all of a sudden want. And then there is the jewelry. And then there's the relationships. And then there is another vacation and the beautiful beach pictures. And then we go on Facebook and we see everyone else having everything and we feel we have nothing. And so there is a lot of illusion coming, a lot of stimuli coming to our senses that tickle us, so to speak, that we want constantly more. We want more and better and more beautiful and more. And that is what St. Louis is referring to. And it, in a way, sidetracks us. It keeps us away from realizing that we're eternal souls and that what really matters most is the food for our soul, to nourish our soul. The beautiful slogan of Cardiac Radio, and that's why we're here tonight at 6 p.m., to nourish our soul, to educate our soul, to invest into our eternity. And that is what we're forgetting by the constant stimuli we receive on our senses. So then he says, in contrast to that, the discarnates are not um, exposed to these material influences as much. Now, we do know that there are some spirits who are very much, who are much lower in their um, developmental stage that are still very much attached to matter to the point that they may even feel hunger and thirst still and that is very torturous because then they can't fulfill that anymore but he says it is different no thought of material interest or social position warps their reasoning they struggle out of love for evil on the contrary but they soon acquire conviction about their powerlessness towards the moral superiority that dominates them. 
Now we're talking about discarnates. The perspective of a better future is more accessible to the discarnates because they are already living a life where that future must occur. So freedom from the flesh makes their conversion easier. That is St. Louis's opinion. Now, we do know that the first step in our, on our path to regeneration is repentance. And we can repent in, in our lifetimes in the flesh, but very often we postpone it until we're discarnate, discarnated. And then we feel the regrets of what we've done. We become, we have a better, bigger perspective, as we've learned from these spirits that we've studied so far. And then we beg for another lifetime where we get another opportunity to expiate our past wrongs. So that is part of the cycle of life. We want to go to the Spirits book for a moment because there Alan Kardec helps us in question 224. Let us go real quick to that. Question 224 it pertains to the subject of our a transformation in life after life on the other side. Where is it? Ah, there is a. Didn't see it. There's too many bookmarks in my spirits book. So he defines spirit life as follows, and he, he coins a new term. What he says in question 224, what he asks is, what becomes of the soul during the interval, intervals between incarnations. So what happens to souls between incarnations? And the illuminated spirits answer us and they say, the soul becomes an errant spirit, aspiring to and awaiting a new destiny. So he coins, he creates a new term for us, which helps us define a spirit that is between earthly lifetimes. Let us call it that way right now. It is an errant spirit. And that is how he calls the chapter. It's in chapter six and he calls it spirit life. And he called the subchapter or subtitle is errant spirits. So once we're excarnated and we live on the other side, we are errant spirits. Now let us see in question 227 now he asks, how do errant spirits learn since it can hardly be in the same way as for us? See how it links to what St. Louis says? So let's see what, what those illuminated spirits tell us. So how do errant spirits learn, since it must be different from the way incarnated spirits learn? The answer is, they study their past and seek ways to evolve. They watch and observe what is going on in the realms through which they pass. They listen to the discourse of enlightened individuals and the councils of spirits who are more involved than they are. And this provides them with ideas that they do not yet possess. So obviously this describes is the spirits who are already conscious enough to actually look back to their lifetimes and recognize their errors. Now we've learned from the suffering spirits, not every spirit is always available for this, um, for this uh, how should I say, um, study. Some of them are still very much caught just in darkness and pain and blame. But eventually every spirit will wake up and then go over their lifetime and then be open to classes, 
to higher spirits, to their teachings and what the illuminated spirits just taught us. So, and then in question 228, Alan Kardec asks, do spirits retain any of the human passions? Good question, right friends? And the answer is, upon losing their corporeal envelope, high order spirits leave base passions behind and retain only the ideals of the good. But low order spirits once retain their passions. Otherwise, they would belong to the first order. So the least evolved we are, the more we are still attached to our passions. And that causes us pain. Because just let us just imagine for a moment, we're really hungry, right? We've all been hungry in our lives. And we want to eat. Now let us imagine we're really hungry and we can't eat. And we can't maybe eat for years. But we're hovering around incarnates and they are eating and that causes us incredible of, amount of pain. We attach ourselves to spirits who are eating and have the same desires we do and then we become obsessors and that does not either help them, the incarnates, nor us as excarnates. We get stuck in our evolution. So it is important for us to loosen our grips on material aspects, including food right now. And in a minute, we will move over to a beautiful article by Umberto de Campos, which will help with us. But before we do that, we have one more question that Alan Kardec asked that we think is important to, uh, to hear. The question is, can a spirit progress while in the errant state? Remember, St. Louis said, actually, yeah. Um, and here the answer is, it may improve itself a great deal. So when we're excarnated, we, in our errant state, we may improve ourselves a great deal. It always depends on our own will and desire. Remember, we have free will. However, the spirit puts its newly acquired ideas into practice only during corporeal life. So yes, we progress on the other side a great deal. According to St. Louis, even better than in the flesh. But we actually put our newly acquired knowledge and understanding, our moral transformation into, into action. We practice it while we're in the flesh. And that is often as we are on a lower level of evolution called the expiation. So friends, let us now switch gears. This completes, by the way, our case of Claire. Next week, we're going to start with the suicidal spirits. And there's a lot for us to learn there. Totally different aspects. Very interesting. But for now, what we're going to do is we're going to switch over to the Spiritist magazine. Most of you probably are aware that there is a beautiful Spiritist magazine that gets published. You can get it free online. There is an app and there's a website. You can download it and you can go back to, I think we're on the 47th issue approximately. And you can go back and read every single issue for free, but you can also order a hard copy. I think it's like 10 or $12 and you can do that online. And right now we're going to, um, what was it? I think it is the edition I'm going to post it after our gathering. I will post in the under this publication, I mean our broadcast here. I will write down which edition it is. It's called Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo, 
is the name and, the, and his picture is on the edition of that particular Spiritist magazine. And inside you'll find an article called Training for Death. And we considered it important to not read the whole article. You feel free to go to the Spiritist magazine and download it and read it. But we're going to pick out a few important items because we want to be prepared, right friends? Because our so-called, our physical form can fall off any time. Something can happen and it would better be ready for this because we're hoping that we are spirits who we want to minimize our suffering, don't we? So here we go. Um, uh, let's see. Worried about survival beyond the grave, you ask amazed how the training for death should be carried out and how to avoid surprises after death. And so he touches on the fact that as a tourist, if we travel, let's say from the United States to, to Asia, we prepare ourselves, we get a passport, we may read up on Asia, we set up an itinerary, you pack the right clothes, we look at the climate, we get ready for our trip, right? And when it comes to our excarnation, our so-called death of our physical form, what do we do? Do we prepare ourselves? Do we sit down and educate ourselves of what to expect and how to get ready for that? Well, that is what this article is really good for and what the second part of Heaven and Hell helps us with. And of course, the Spirits book and the whole André Louise series is so much to learn, to get ready. And it's never too early to do that. So let us see. Then he says, um, religion and science is not very helpful in that. You know, religion usually doesn't touch that subject, doesn't really tell us what happens after our life on this earth. And science doesn't really go there either. So now, thank God, literally, we have spiritism and the spirits, illuminated spirits, uh, who teach us what to do. So then he says, start, and this article is by Umberto de Campos, or Brother X. And you find, and it's an excerpt, and I forgot to say that, I apologize, from the book, Cartas e Cronicas. I don't really speak Portuguese, but I do my best, so forgive my accent. So um, he says, start the renewal of your habits at each meal. Now, this is not our personal opinion. This is Umberto de Campos's opinion. So this the disclaimer. So please don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> Just know that this comes from him. All right, friends? So he says, start the renewal of your habits at each meal. So we're invited to look at what we're eating. And now he says, gradually decrease the lust to eat the flesh of animals. The cemetery in the belly is a torment in the great transition. So he's saying that the more we eat meat, the harder it will be for us to excarnate. He calls it the torment during our great transition, which is our excarnation. Pork loin or veal filet seasoned with salt and pepper do not place us far from our ancestors, the cannibals. So that is pretty harsh. Wow. So I'm glad we're sitting down, right? And it is something to ponder, to meditate on. It is a recommendation he's giving us to um, look at our food habits. And he's saying it because it puts emphasis, it hardens our third chakra. 
um, it puts emphasis on there. And our excarnatory process starts in the second and third chakra. So if we eat a lot of spicy food and a lot of heavy food like meat, it binds us naturally more to matter, which will cause us more pain during our excarnation. And of course you would you could say oh well you know i'm just 50 years old or i'm just 30 years old i can eat meat for another 20 years and then once i get closer to 70 or 80 i stop eating meat well but it is a process friends because the loosening of matter to spirit is a long and slow progress and it's never too late to start so then he continues to say this so Food, meat, spices is number one. Number two, widely ingested drinks are another dangerous obsession. I have seen many souls of apparently exquisite backgrounds willing to trade heaven itself by the aristocratic whiskey. And he also mentions a Brazilian cachaça, a drink. I'm not sure I'm saying it right, but it doesn't matter what it is. He's talking about alcohol. And we've just had on Facebook, on Cardiac Radio, um, probably related to the holidays, you know, a beautiful lecture by Dr. Vanessa Anceloni about drinking. So it is not only binding us more to matter, it's also unhealthy for our organs in general. And of course, we're never alone when we eat and drink, when we do anything. We're always living in two worlds and we attract what we emit. So if we drink, for example, a lot of alcohol, guess who is drinking with us? Not just incarnates, it's also a bunch of excarnates. So he is recommending for us not to drink much alcohol or maybe better yet, no alcohol. Then he says, as much as possible, avoid the abuse of tobacco. Tobacco. The condition of discarnated nicotine lovers is pitiful. So this is number three. Number one is meat and spices. Number two is alcohol. Number three is tobacco. We may throw in there also marijuana, maybe other substances that are being smoked. So, um, but here he is mentioning tobacco. And then he says, no matter how distressing distressed, distressing the crisis seemed to be while in the body, stay strong when facing the blows of struggles. You're invited to stay strong and not medicate. There's many different ways of medication. Food is one, alcohol is another, any drugs, medications, right? Even just compulsive shopping. But right now we're staying with what he's talking about. Then he says, victims of cocaine, morphine, and barbiturates linger a long time in the dark cell of thirst and inertia. So that is number four to avoid medications, drugs of that nature. There is a um, epidemic right now in the United States, opioid epidemic. A lot of people receive pain meds that contain opioids and that causes a whole other new host of problems. So then he says, what about sex? Carefully preserve your emotional balance. We here have many good people carrying living hell labeled love. So here now we're talking about the second chakra and we're invited to examine our habits around sex. We have the internet with a lot of 
um, stimuli if we choose to go there. Um, often people confuse love with sex. Yes, it can be one and the same, but very often sex is not love and it becomes a habitual um, release or it becomes like a meal. People schedule it. There's so many aspects and we don't want to go into the depth of it, but I'm hoping you are willing to meditate on that. So we have food, we have meat and spices, we have tobacco, we have alcohol, we have other drugs and sex to look at. All of this binds us to matter and makes it hard for us and difficult in our excarnatory process. Then he continues, if you have some money or hold any earthly possessions, do not postpone donations if you're really inclined to do them. Great individuals whom we admire in the world for their skill and power with which they materialized important business here appear in many instances near us like desperate children for they do not get to manage their checkbooks any longer. I work for the, with the elderly those at the end of life, most of them have dementia. There's a lot of pain because of the lack of control of their lives. They have not prepared. From my observation, the people I'm, I've been working with are not prepared. They have not um, released their um, duties. They have very much still stuck in matter and are upset that they can't control their lives as it in on the material plane as they were used to and this is what he's referring to so we're invited to share our material goods as much as possible to not amass and release to share we need to remember their gifts from god so then he says within your family be careful regarding your living will Fatal diseases may assault anyone at any time. And if your paperwork is not in order, you will suffer much humiliation in the courts and notaries. It's funny how he puts that. But we're invited to take care of our affairs, accounts, living well, right? Leaving it all organized. And we will be looking at something else in a minute about that. So we need to make sure that we prepare of how we want to share our earthly belongings among our family members and maybe friends and to start early on. I had a grandmother who asked us for years before her excarnation, which, what, which one would you, what would you like in my home? And she would put little stickers on the back of every single item so that after her excarnation, she wanted it to be peaceful in her family. There was just one little act where she prepared herself. Above all, do not cling too much to your blood ties. We're now invited. Love your wife, love your children, and love your relatives in moderation certain that one day you will be apart and thus they will almost always act contrary to your will do not forget that in the present state of terrestrial education we serve some loved ones register your extraterrestrial presence so talking about the future if you already have the treasure of a religious faith live accordingly to the precepts you embrace do the most good you can, always do the good. Without worrying about pleasing everyone, convince yourself 
that if you do not feel sympathy for certain individuals, there are people who hardly tolerate you. Ouch, that hurt, right friends? Let's repeat that. So we're invited to be kind to everyone, to share, to share of ourselves and our earthly belongings, to be generous, charitable, and we're also invited to not cling too much to our family members because our ties may be temporary. Not all family ties are long-term. It depends on the situation. And then we are invited to, to, to ponder that if we don't like everyone in our vicinity, our family and friends, maybe work, co-workers and so forth, we are we need to remember that they are people who hardly tolerate us <laughs> yes right it always goes both ways so if we don't like everyone not everyone likes us as a matter of fact may not be wanting to tolerate us so we need to remember that and that loosens us up a little bit too right Therefore, keep your noble smile at all circumstances, Umberto de Campos tells us. Work always, work incessantly. Service is the best solvent for your grievances. Service is the best solvent for your grievances. Help yourself through the loyal fulfillment of your duties. Help yourself through the loyal fulfillment of your duties. How beautiful, right? Does that help us to get ready for our transition? As far as duties are concerned, we're reminded of this beautiful book, Thought and Life by Emmanuel. There is a chapter on duty. Can you believe it? Chapter, what is it? It's chapter 21. He dedicates a whole chapter to duty. Now, we may have a preconceived notion of what duty is. Yeah, getting up in the morning, getting in the kids for, ready for school, you know, making our lunch and breakfast, going to work, coming home, making dinner, and blah, 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 and so forth, right? But Emmanuel and his brilliancy gives us a new dimension of the definition of duty. He defines duty as a series of activities in the arena of goodness a series of activities in the arena of goodness. So duty is fulfilling to do the good. We're doing the good while we are fulfilling our duties. We will be perfectly present in our jobs, not sitting behind the computer and texting and playing on Facebook video games or whatnot, only working when the boss comes in. No, we're doing, we're fulfilling our duty. But while we do that, we even go one step further. We do the good. He says, it's a series of activities in, in the arena of goodness. Isn't it beautiful how Emmanuel always opens up the ceiling into a cathedral. It's not a flat ceiling. It's always like a cathedral ceiling. So we expand our vision, so to speak. He says, um, yeah, and then in the next chapter, he says that we develop feelings of guilt when we do not fulfill our duty. So if we develop, we develop feelings of guilt whenever we avoid fulfilling our duties, and that then leads to remorse, and that gets us sick. So feeling guilty is not a good thing. It gets us sick, and it lowers our vibration, 
and it has devastating impact on our lives. He says also neglecting our duty also causes painful results, demanding restitution which eat with each incarnation. So for example, in the case of Claire that we just talked about, she did not fulfill her duties. She was selfish. She did not do a string of good deeds during her lifetime. As a result, she must have harbored some guilt and later on she ran, walked around tortured by nothingness. So that is what we want to avoid and also to prepare ourselves for the process of our excarnation. So this article is beautiful. There is more in it. So I invite you to look it up again. I will post it for you um, after our session. So you can go to the Spiritist magazine and look it up. So let us see. In the meantime, there is an article, actually a book that was written, which is a non-spiritist book. And it is called, um, I found it online, A Beginner's Guide to the End, Practical Advice for Living Life and Facing Death. So even if you want to, this is even a little bit more mundane, but very, very practical of how we can prepare ourselves for our transition. And he gives this example of Ruth, who is 81 years old and was driving to her daughter's Molly's house for Thanksgiving dinner when she had a heart attack and died. Struggling to imagine a world without their mother, Molly and her brother Ira went to clear out her condo in Leisure World, the retirement community in Laguna Woods, California that Ruth had called home for 12 years. While sorting through her things, they discovered a small card file on a kitchen counter next to her recipe book. They opened it up and expecting guidance on how to make brisket, they found a box where their mom had set aside all her papers, explaining exactly where, where to find what, how many accounts she had, and so forth and so on. And from that experience, she wrote this book, and then she goes on to say, um, I'm going to post it for you too afterwards, so you can read it if you like. We're not going to read the whole thing. But here she summarizes. She's, she suggests that you, we create a file, a shoebox, or a drawer in a chest, whatever we want to put all of our financial and other belongings in so that our children will have an easier time undoing those aspects. I lost both of my parents already, my mother about four years ago, and it was quite the nightmare. <laughs> you know, it can take a lot of time and energy to find what your parents, what the parents had, if they lock things up, where the keys are. There's so many details, it is mind boggling, and it can take years for children to undo you know, our lives. And so it is, from my perspective, a charitable act for us to do this kind of work, to create the shoe box. Now let us see, she goes into it. She mentions a few things. Of course, she goes into it in the book much more in detail, but here are just some, some little um, teasers for us to think about. She says in this when I die file or shoebox or whatever it is that we want to create, she says, put an advanced directive that's signed and notarized if necessary, an advanced directive. 
There's also the pulse that is this pink sheet where we specify with the help of our doctors of what kind of care we want in case of an emergency. And that can be posted or should be posted on our, our refrigerators. I got one, it felt funny because I consider myself still pretty young, but since I'm working with the older people and I've seen many emergencies, it is vital because the ambulance comes into our homes and looks for that sheet. And if we haven't specified how much intervention in tubing and force feeding we want, then they will give us the most care. And that can be against our will, but at that time it is too late for us to change. Um, the direction the medical profession will go. So that is very important. Then she says, a will and living trust with certificate of trust. So it is good to have a will or a living trust set up. A living trust helps our children or those who will inherit our belongings for tax reasons. Then she says, put together your marriage or divorce certificates because inevitably those people who stay behind will need those. She says, add unnecessarily important passwords for, for our phones, for our computers, our tablets, our email accounts, social media accounts, all those passwords to have them printed out, to have them all available because all people who will undo our lives will need them. Then she says, um, instructions for your funeral and final disposition. Disposition, yes. So we need to specify what we want to, to be done with our bodies. And then she mentions an ethical will. Now that is interesting. And lastly, letters to loved ones. So what does she mean by an ethical will? Let us see, she goes in, an ethical will is a complement to your will not a replacement. I like to say it's your values alongside your valuables. Very interesting, right? It is a, our values alongside our valuables. She says, putting uh, ethical words, putting your values on paper, and it can act as the explainer why you made certain choices in your legal will. It can act as, or one couple we spoke to decided they didn't trust their siblings enough to raise their children should they die. So when they wrote a will and trust, they assigned guardianship for the kids or family, close family members. Creating an ethical will for you when I die file doesn't have to be a big deal. It can consist of things you're already doing, collecting quotes you like or journal entries. And they also, you what we can put into an ethical will is explaining you know, our philosophy, what we know, what we, or what we would like to tell our children or family members um, as a last, um, how should I say, advice, um, which could be very important. And it's even in the Bible, there have been cases and, you know, in other books, in spiritist books, you know, with those who are ex-Canadian are giving advice to their family members that are present. And all of this, we never know how our ex-Carnation will look like, can be summarized in an ethical will. It's a beautiful aspect. Dear friends, there is so much for us to prepare ourselves with. And the beauty of that is if we are courageous enough, like you all are, to think about those aspects, to remind ourselves of the perishability of our physical form, which could come to an end any moment, 
during our lifetime, to be courageous enough to take the steps to prepare ourselves, not only on the material um, front, but also on our moral transformational front, right? To remember that, as Umberto de Campos um, helped us to remember, to watch our diets, to watch our sex lives, to watch our, the ingestion of, of substances, and to make sure that we always share and do the good, that to undo the shackles that we have forged against our own selves in previous incarnations, to visualize the good, to feel the good, to speak the good, to mold the good with all the resources we have, as Emmanuel teaches us in the beautiful book, Thought and Life. All of this will help us at the final moment of our transition and in our life after life. Dear friends, we're closing with a prayer, a prayer that is very dear to my heart and to me is the prayer that serves as a divine reminder of how to live our lives of how to prepare ourselves for our transition, the final grand transition, and to see the so-called death in the right light. It is the, the prayer of St. Francis. And I invite you, if you can, to close your eyes, to have your hands rest on your thighs, palms facing upwards, opening your hearts and minds, connecting with God, and with gratitude, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O oh, Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love with all my heart, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And so be it. Dear friends, thank you for joining all of you. It's been a pleasure. Next week, so God willing, same time, same place, we will meet again and this time discuss the suicidal spirits. God bless you. Have a beautiful week. Much love. Good night.